comet strikes the planet in two days, there will be no survivors. Coming up, the crew of the Enterprise races to stop a rogue comet from destroying a planet, as an alien race protecting it stands in their way. You all should be relying on someone who's prepared, not someone who's gonna get us all fried to a crisp. Cadet Uhura's linguistic skills are put to the test. Spock sings. We surrender. And the crew of the Enterprise surrenders. All this and more, coming up on Energize. 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 We're boldly going into the uncharted regions of the Star Trek universe before James T. Kirk. You're listening to Energize, a Star Trek Strange New Worlds podcast. Your source for in-depth analysis, colorful debate, and exciting discussions about the new adventures of Captain Pike and the Enterprise crew. I'm your host, Anthony McLemore. And I'm Steve Truitt. This week, an ancient alien relic disrupts the Enterprise crew's mission to stop a comet on track to destroy an inhabited planet. Here's a warp speed recap of Star Trek Strange New Worlds Episode 2, Children of the Comet. I hear you speak 12 languages. Uh, 37. Okay, wow. So we begin in the captain's cabin where Pike is hosting an informal dinner with his senior staff. Uhura shares with the group how the tragic loss of her immediate family in a shuttle accident changed her plans of going to college to join Starfleet instead. At dinner, Pike informs Uhura that as part of routine crew rotations, she has been selected to join the ship's next landing party. When the comet strikes the planet in two days, there will be no survivors. Later, Spock informs the crew that a nearby comet is on a collision course with the planet Persephone 3, which will kill all of its primitive inhabitants. To stop this impending disaster, the Enterprise crew attempts to embed ion engines on the surface of the comet to divert the frozen rock off its current course. But things take an unexpected turn when the comet raises a force field. I'm standing on the surface of a comet. With evidence of an abandoned civilization present on the comet's surface, Spock, Chief of Security La'an, Lieutenant Sam Kirk, and Uhura are dispatched to the comet's surface to investigate and figure a way to alter its destructive path. Please step away from the egg. The situation quickly becomes dire when Lieutenant Kirk goes into cardiac arrest after taking a massive energy surge from touching an egg-like structure on the comet. This triggers the comet to raise its force field, preventing the landing party from beaming back to the ship. Incoming weapons fire. Damage report. Shields holding at 70%. The Enterprise tries to break through the force field when they are attacked by another ship. A race called the Shepherds, who have sworn to protect the comet, suggests the rock hurling at the planet is a sentient arbiter of life that chooses its own path. Pike is warned not to intervene, or it will be seen as an act of war. Back on the comet's surface, Ohura races to decipher the inscriptions written on the egg. As Uhura hums to herself, Spock notices that it responds to music. Bum, 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 bum. Using harmonics, Uhura gets the comet to lower its force field, allowing the landing party to be beamed back to the ship. The Shepherds see the Enterprise crew's actions as hostile and begin to attack. Pike cleverly maneuvers the Enterprise directly in front of the comet, and as a result, the Shepherds can't destroy the Enterprise 
without destroying the comet. Meanwhile, Spock, who's in a shuttlecraft, successfully diverts the comet's course, where it grazes the planet's atmosphere. Because of this, a large amount of water vapor is deposited into the planet's atmosphere, which will vastly improve the planet's agricultural potential. You're suggesting the comet had foreknowledge of future events? Later, Uhura and the Enterprise crew questioned the surprising outcome of their mission. Was it their actions alone that saved the planet? Or did they play a role in the preordained chain of events? And that was your Warp Speed Recap. Now it's time for our episode analysis, Steve. Another great episode. I thought so, Anthony. I think it was just jam-packed full of adventure. And we got a chance to get to know one of the crew members. And I have a feeling that they're going to do that this season. Take each episode and really highlight a character. Cadets log. Stardate 2912.4. So this episode was told through Cadet Ahur's Vantage Point, uh, played by Celia Rose Gooding. I think she's phenomenal. I, I, I just, you know, we we talked about this last week. You know, she just has that infectious smile. She's a curious character. Uh, she's energetic. Uh, it was surprising to me that she said in the beginning she wasn't sure about Starfleet. But of course, we all know that, you know, what the outcome of that is. But I thought she carried the episode beautifully. I just thought she did a great job. And the show starts off with her giving not a captain's log, but her log through her voice, which is, um, I think, kind of a departure from the original series and what I'm accustomed to. There's a lot going on in this episode that is telling us that this series is going to be a little bit different. Uh, the captain is much more open to suggestions than I think anybody, and I thought Picard was pretty open to suggestions. But he literally lets his crew come into his cabin and hang out and question him boldly in front of him. Uh, you know, it's a really interesting kind of uh, perspective on how he leads. And so Ahura in this episode gets a chance to attend her first captain's dinner. She goes on her first away mission. And again, like we discussed last week, Strange New Worlds is going back to exploration and discovery. Discovery, And I think that this is part that is embodied in Cadet Ahura's character. She's experiencing everything for the first time, which was a brilliant casting move. I think so too. And, and like I said before, I think we're going to see this this discovery, for lack of a better word, this, you know, um, boldly going where no one has gone before through the eyes of each crew mate and, and how that looks. Through Ahura, it's exciting and it's fresh and it's new. Through Spock, it will be something different. Through La'an, it'll be something different. Everybody will give us a different perspective on this brand new, fresh idea of going out into the cosmos. General Ortega, Cadet Ahura, welcome. <laughs> Dress uniform, huh? Grab a drink. I got to deal with the ribs. Now let's unpack Pike having dinner with crew members. Um, I think this is something that's a little bit different than what we've seen with other captains previously. Well, okay. So Kirk, you know, in TOS, there was none of that. Uh, Picard didn't play poker with his uh, staff until the last episode. Um, but here you've got Pike, you know, doing a weekly tradition. And not only that, but it's such a tradition that any cadet it gets hazed by saying, hey, you know, you have to wear your dress uniform. <laughs> and it it's just, it's such an interesting thing to know that this is how he runs his ship. It's curious to me because, you know, Starfleet still is like kind of a naval operation. There's a chain of command and there's respect for that chain of command. 
and there's not a lot of yes or no, sir. There's a lot of, you know, number one calls him Chris. Um, it's interesting to me how casual it really is, and yet it still works. His leadership style, I definitely identify with. He has a more coach and charismatic style of management versus an autocratic or bureaucratic style of management. And I really do, I really do right. like that. Right. And I think the people that he's chosen, and he even mentions that, it's hard to get on the enterprise. The people that he's chosen fit into that. We've got a tough character in La'an. We've got an empathetic character. We've got a quirky character. And he just seems to be the director of those people. He presides over them uh, and allows them to you know, let their personalities really shine in their positions. It's I, I just find it really refreshing. I really like the crew already. And it's only two episodes. Exactly. And I thought what was really cool was Pike wasn't afraid to be self-deprecating and, and tell stories about himself that were funny, yeah. for which Spock was a little bit confused. Yeah, the, I, they had to put in that. I just love how they bring that back with the, excuse me, I don't understand the humor. And um, I'll, I'll go back and say this again. I, the only thing about Ethan Peck's Spock that I that I would love to see changed is he really speaks very quickly and he rolls over words fast. And as someone who, who's been in broadcasting like you, I've been in broadcasting for 30 years, you know, I, I think diction is important and he just kind of rolls over things and I want him to slow down a little bit and speak like Nimoy did a little, just a little bit, you know, give me a little bit more of that Vulcan slow speech. Now at this dinner, Pike actually engages with Uhura and finds out that she speaks 37 languages and we hear Uhura's origin story. We've never heard that before. You find, we find out that her family was killed in a shuttle accident. Yeah, it was surprising to get that so early. She did say ahead of time that she, you know her father told her she never lacked uh, the ability to hold a conversation. She, she's an open book. She wears her history on her sleeve. She sings you know, in the cabin, which was a wonderful setup for the later in the episode. But yeah, she's just, she's unabashed. She's, this is who I am. Here's my story. And I'm glad we heard it. I think it, it you know, we, we got a lot more of Uhura in the J.J. Abrams movies, but this is a really in-depth character that I think is going to be really fun to watch. I, I'm going to be curious to see how she and Spock get along. I'm still kind of in that you know, J.J. Abrams, uh, Kelvin timeline thing. Will that happen? I don't know. Starfleet has been a lifelong dream for many, myself included. If it is not your path, you might consider making way for someone else who wants to walk it. It'll be interesting to see, but I think that they were throwing us some hints because as you see throughout this episode, Spock continues to give her advice in the hallway, on the planet. Um, he was in her yeah. ear and it wasn't like they were just passing by. It wasn't, it wasn't like Spock was just an officer talking to a cadet. He was actually caring, which also gave another side of Spock that we haven't seen before. Yeah. I, I was noticing, noticing that too, you know, in, in TOS, Nimoy never spoke unless he was spoken to. If you noticed, he just responded to things and he did it. So logically, um, Ethan Peck is like, Hey man, let's talk. What's up? And I think because he's half human, I think really for the first time, we're actually seeing the half human for real in Spock. And I, you know, 
for all the stuff I say about Ethan Peck's diction, uh, I, I really like the way that he's creating this character. I, I like this Spock. And it, it makes it, it makes the Spock character more complete because we know the Vulcan side. And in this version of Spock, we're actually getting to know even more of the Vulcan side that we haven't seen before. So I really do yeah. think that this is a more complete Spock than we've ever seen before. Which is why I was a little surprised about the humor thing, because, you know, we've seen that. We've we've played that beat before with Nimoy and I guess um, Zach Quinto did it too. Uh, but I think it is just again, honoring the character, just reminding us Vulcans don't have a sense of humor or they do, <laughs> but they don't see the logic in it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now back to Uhura, um, the fact that she told that story actually saved her because when she, you know, let everyone in the room know that she wasn't really tied to Starfleet Starfleet, and didn't really know where she was going to be in 10 years. That was a cringeworthy moment considering the fact that so many people want to be a part of Starfleet. For someone to be in Starfleet and at least the perception that you're not taking it as seriously would be an insult to everybody else in the room. Which Spock, in so many words, yeah, did mention that to her. Again, stepping out of his reaction role and actually stepping up as an older brother type and saying, listen, you know, if you don't want to be here, make some room for people who do. I thought that that was an interesting piece of feedback, but I think more so, I think what's happening here, and I, I, I could be wrong, but I think what the architects of this season are doing, and perhaps this series, is they're setting up things that may last two, three seasons. We may see a whole arc of Uhura, not just in one episode, but maybe over time, really grow to become Starfleet. And what is it going to take to get her to do that? Does someone die on her watch? Does she save someone on her watch? You know, what what does she experience in her life that gets her there? And I think that that's setting it up in this episode is brilliant. It lets us know what this character's arc is going to be. The good thing is that the writers have given Uhura's character room to grow. So they haven't boxed, boxed her in. The sky's the limit at this point. You know, um, too, I think the singing, if you remember, I think it was Star Trek V. <laughs> she sang. Um, Nichelle Nichols yes, sang. Yes, dance. Yes. I think it was Star Trek <laughs> did a little dance. Yes, and she danced. Was, she did uh, the, the dance, final, right? Star Trek, Star Trek The Final and, uh, Frontier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not the best one ever made, but... Um, Nope. I think that her singing, you know, was definitely maybe a throw. There's a lot of throwbacks in here that I just really love. And I think that that was part of it. I think the singing thing was, she, you know, that's part of her character. Turns out knowing your future kind of takes the fun out of imagining it. Chris, have you considered that maybe your fate isn't written? After the dinner's over, we have a scene with Pike and Una. Captain Pike still dealing with the fact that he knows his fate in 10 years. Again, there you go with the arc, right? So, you know, that was set up in episode one, and this could be a series arc for him. In fact, I think it will be. I think the writers are telling us, you know, whenever we end this series, the last episode is going to be, does he die or not? Does he get disfigured or not? Um, and that's the the beauty of what they're doing is they're setting up his arc right away and letting us all know this is what you want to watch for. And yeah, Una's saying, look, you know, 
Maybe history isn't written. Maybe it is. But she's going to be a crucial part in all of this. And I just love the depth of it. It's not just episodic. Like TNG was episodic, but they did throw in a few threads here and there. You know, throughout. if you watch the whole series all the way through, you'll see some through lines. Uh, But this really does it in a strong way already out of the gate, episode two. And in that scene... Pike throws us a curveball. At this point, yeah. he is actually starting to come to terms with it. And that's coming across very clear because now he's talking about the people that he saved. And he's he's basically telling that Una that strange. you know this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. It's and 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 the allegory or the 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 rhyme, as writers call it, of this comet and its destiny really paralleled. Pike's destiny, like maybe it's destiny, maybe it's not, maybe everything is supposed to happen the way it is. But yeah, I I thought it fascinating that he remembered those kids' names. This is going to be, like I said, a series long story. And I think, you know, they're they're doing episodic, but not really, because there's going to be threads throughout all the series, excuse me, all the seasons that I think play out. I think, I think they're doing... Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sounding just like a fanboy and so crazy, but I mean, they really are doing a great job of doing both episodic and long form. Oh, I think this is the best of both worlds. You have uh, themes that, that carry throughout the series, but you actually have episodes that wrap up. And I, right. I just really think that that's actually pretty smart. So you, you do get the best. You don't feel like, oh my God, okay, the episode ended. And then everything starts over from scratch every single time. And I think that the best series, right. um, you know, have a mixture of both. And I think they're doing that. They're doing that coming out the gate. But like yeah. we were saying, I think that Pike is starting, is taking Spock's advice in the previous episode and he's starting to find his purpose. Yeah. Right. Because Una says something along the lines of, or in that discussion, someone says, you know, you're saving lives. This is supposed to happen. When the comet strikes the planet in two days. There will be no survivors. So the mission for this particular episode is that the Enterprise has to stop a comet that's going to destroy a planet. The inhabitants of that particular planet are are pre-war or a pre-warp species that have no capabilities of actually stopping it. In Star Trek Into Darkness, they actually saved a planet from a volcano. In this episode, right. they're saving a planet from a comet. But in the in Star Trek Into Darkness, they were prohibited from doing it because that was a counter to the prime directive. How is it not right. in this episode? Yeah, they're still talking about General Order 1. I don't know if the prime directive has been completely codified yet. And what they said in this episode was, we can't alter or destroy a civilization but we are allowed to save them from natural ruin. And so that seemed to be that loophole that has not been codified yet into the Prime Directive. I remember in Star Trek Into Darkness, Pike himself was telling Kirk, we don't alter a planet's destiny. (laughs) But here we are altering a planet's destiny. Remember, that takes place in an alternate universe, you know, in the the, um, Kelvin Kelvin timeline, timeline, where the... The prime directive probably has been modified just based on all the issues happening um, with Nero. So I I really think that in this universe that we're looking at now, the prime directive hasn't been solidified yet. This is something that I thought was lacking in the show Enterprise. I thought that that series could have lasted longer if they had as their central backing theme 
how do we create the prime directive and and what it would take to do that and they could just keep building that along the way and making mistakes and i just think they kind of overshot it anyone want to tell me how a comet puts up a force field so in the act of trying to stop the comet the comet puts up a force field now we have to send a landing party down so uhura gets a chance to go on her her first uh, away mission and we have uh, Sam Kirk that goes on this mission as well. Now, I'm trying to figure out, you know, Sam right. Kirk's purpose. Is he comic relief? Please step away from the egg. Lieutenant Kirk has been injured. Beamer's out. Having trouble getting a lock. Because he actually touches this egg-like structure and ends up getting, you know, shocked and put into cardiac arrest because Spock tells him, don't touch it. He does it anyway and literally gets thrown backwards. And I was wondering, I was like, uh, is he like the comic relief? Is he the red shirt? <laughs> what, what is his purpose here? You know who Sam is, right? His name is George Samuel Kirk. He's James exactly. T. Kirk's brother. Right, because in the original right. series, so, he ends up dying. I remember the I can't I can't remember the name of the particular episode, but it had to do with those little uh, flying... Yeah pizzas <laughs> that attach like themselves yeah to the it's like a yeah. It's an insect yeah yep. yeah and so and he it, died and, and it, i think well I, I think if i recall shatner played that character in the original series i think you're correct i think, I think I he did because he had a mustache and that's stash, why right. pike said i dig the mustache starting to like the mustache maybe you should try one for yourself <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Um, <laughs> you should try it. Yeah. yeah. That was, yeah that there's was a, a lot joke. of and comedy. I'm, you should try it. That's what I mean. Like, there's a lot of people talking back to Pike, not in a negative way, but just like, it's a very casual atmosphere there. After Sam gets injured, uh, the the structure basically puts up a force field. Meanwhile, on the ship, they're trying to figure out how to get the landing party back. At the moment, pretending not to be in way over my head. We're in a really, really tough situation. Ohur is now on the spot. She's the one that has to figure this out because there's an inscription on the egg on the egg-like structure. And you know, this is what she's here for. She has to figure figure this out. And once again, Spock is there to encourage her. Yeah, the pep talk, if you will. He said he was practicing it. Um I think this it was in this moment in the episode where I thought that Miss Gooding could have played it a little differently she didn't seem as nervous as i thought she should have been but maybe at the same time that's how she handles nerves by going internally i don't know she didn't seem as nervous to me as i thought she would be uh the dialogue certainly said so is this your first away mission yes first time your life's in danger well yeah uh but i didn't feel that from her but but having her there um was a smart thing to do, obviously, because, yeah, they needed to encrypt that, or decrypt, rather, that alien language. I love the solution they came up with. It was just brilliant. Incoming weapons fire. Who hit us? They did. So back on the Enterprise, they're trying to figure out how to get the landing party back when a new ship enters the picture. And they call themselves the Shepherds. Interesting to be the, the protector of a of a comet that streams through space. The way they explained it, I thought it was pretty interesting. They claim that this is a an arbiter of life. And so in a way that seems like they're like a religious sect. They're the followers and protectors of this comet. 
And so now we're faced with a challenge here. Um, They're threatening to destroy the enterprise if they interfere. But at the same time, the enterprise has this job to stop the comet from destroying the planet. So we're kind of at a stalemate here. Yeah. And I think one of the things that makes it uh, good at this moment is that number one says, look, they outgun us. They outrun us. They have more shielding. There's no way we can win in a fight. And and I, I like that because... You know, it tells Pike, you better come up with something different than, you know, what Kirk might do, which is, you know, fire all phasers, you know, that kind of thing. I can see that Pike is not as cavalier as Kirk is. He's a little more more thoughtful about the situation and he relies on his crew to try to figure out options. It's interesting to me now, you know, as we see pre-Kirk and post-Kirk in a Pike and Picard universe, how interesting Kirk is in relation to these other two men who seem to be more thoughtful. Kirk is more of the the 1960s machismo man, shoot from the hip kind of guy. And it's interesting how men have changed over the decades. And we see that in our captains. Back on the comment, Ahura and Spock make a discovery. So Ahura hums. And then we, we see that the structure reacts to her. Totally unexpected. I... I know they were setting it up at the barbecue. I should have I should have noticed that because they made mention of it. Uh, I just thought, oh, well, she sings. So that's a nod to her singing from Star Trek V. But as soon as it starts to react and they start having that whole conversation around how music is math, which, you know, just tickles me in all sorts of ways. I just love that kind of thing. And how they figure out that the language is music it just it put the the show in a different level that i was so impressed with well i appreciated it because i'm a musician myself i play the viola and so i you know i lived that for 16 years and so music and numbers right. are definitely related and so it makes complete sense isn't it interesting that as we get to know uhura that one of the things she's really good at or the one of the quirky things she does which is sing when she's nervous is the one thing that unlocks the alien vessel. I just, I don't know. I just thought it was just, they're really putting a lot of thought into these episodes. I really like it. Try and follow my lead. So once they figure out that it's harmonics that the structure uh, reacts to, uh, Ahura and Spock sing. <laughs> and I thought that that was really, really unusual and cool at the same time. Spock sings. And we've seen him do it before, but it was just really, really cool just to see it again. Yeah, it was, it surprised me. I, I thought maybe La'an would sing instead. Um, <clears throat> Absolutely not. Which I think would have been too tough. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And I think that had she had been the one to sing, it might have been even more comical that how awkward it was. For Spock, he just kind of did it willingly. But again, like you, to your point, he does seem to f- be kind of a mentor to Uhura. And that's an interesting relationship for him to kind of come out of his comfort zone and sing. And again, that may be a nod to Nimoy, who did an album in the 70s of him singing. So I, I, I don't know how much they're paying homage to 
the old school, but it seems like it's a lot. Uhura and Spock singing causes the comet to drop its shields and they're able to go back to the ship. But that infuriates the shepherds and they start attacking the Enterprise. This is where, you know, ingenuity and quick on your feet, Kirk-like thinking comes into play. I think this is where Star Trek shines. During Battle 2, when... Things are looking grim and there's a lot against them. To be able to, on your feet, think of a solution or ask for solutions or work together to find a solution um, played really nicely. Saying to Ortega, you know, you, you, you um, boasted about being the best pilot in Starfleet. Prove it. Get us to the other side of that comet and she's got to know live up to that. Like you said, Pike's solution was brilliant. Put the ship in front of the comet. If you destroy the Enterprise, you destroy the comet. And so the Shepherds right. had no choice but to negotiate with Pike. Yeah, and I think it, they probably because they're such a large ship and they're so well armed, they're probably used to intimidating other ships and species to just get out of the way or they destroy them. It seems like they're there to do battle. If like, do what I say or I'll kill you. And for Pike to, you know, maneuver the ship and, and actually put some skin in the game for the shepherds and force them to, you know, get that tractor beam and, 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 and do what they did. Um, again, it just, it just shows what Starfleet, in my opinion, is all about, and that's possibilities. You're saying the comet sent this message before Spock was able to correct the comet's course. All's well that ends well. Spock was able to divert the asteroid, but the big question is, was it the Enterprise crews uh, intervening, or did they play a role in something that was preordained? I, you know, that's the big question. What do you think? I don't know. I, I I think I lean towards that maybe the that the comet was sentient. Maybe maybe it was doing what it was supposed to do. Clearly, these the shepherds have been following this comet all through the galaxy because they've been protecting it. So this isn't the first time uh, this comet has done this before. And they say they say as much. Like we trust it. It's it's smart. It's benevolent. It does what it does. And if it wants to kill itself, it will. But um, I think that. It was a preordained thing, and that the proof of that, or at least the evidence of that, was when they show the message of that piece of ice and how it matches precisely to what they actually observed. But the piece of ice that was shown in the message was sent, you know, was it days or hours or whatever it was ahead of time, and that, you know, and that raises an interesting idea of the supernatural which of course is also part of Star Trek. I think we got away from the supernatural for the most part, you know, midway through next generation uh, as we all started to grow up as Star Trek fans. But I think, you know, why not revisit that? But there's always that balance between science and the supernatural. You know, what do we know? We don't know everything. Yeah. Two, I think, you know, Arthur Clark, Arthur C. Clark, the author said any, advanced civilization technology will be indistinguishable from magic. And so they must have some kind of advanced something that to us looks like it's magic or preordained or precognition, but to them it's probably something different. I, I thought it was a little bit shades of the movie Arrival, you know, where 
Uh, Amy Adams is given a vision of her life uh, before um, it actually happens, and that's the gift that the aliens give her. If you saw that movie, oh yes, I remember. I think they're using some. I, I don't know if it's by accident or if they're actually using these ideas as source material. Whatever they're doing, it seems like they're pulling in the best of sci-fi and putting it into this show. <laughs> That's what it seems like to me. No, they're doing a great job. But having observed your actions on the comet, I'm certain, should you choose to, Stoffer would be fortunate to have an officer like you. So our show ends kind of where it begins. Spock and Uhura are having a conversation once again. And Spock, in, in yeah. this case, commends Uhura for her performance on the mission. And this time, he tells her that if she chooses to stay in Starfleet, Starfleet would be lucky to have her. And I think uh, it kind of bookends the whole thing. It bookends the show, but not her arc, right? She, I think she's still going to be tested. I think we're going to see this, as I mentioned in the beginning of this show, uh, throughout the season, if not the series, uh, I don't think they're going to just drop it. I think they're going to test her. I think this will be part of her care if they do it right, which it seems like they're going to do. And it also ends with um, Una and Pike back in his room. I made a choice. I accepted my fate. It, it goes beyond my own life. What if you're wrong? Is there romance going on there? Are they just friends? What's happening with that? You know what? I would say not. Um, because I, I really do think that he just, you know, really leans on her. Una is his top advisor. Uh, because clearly in the beginning of the show, you know, he was with some other woman. And Una was off on a mission he knew nothing about. So they can't be that. They can't be that's romantically right. involved. I just don't think that that's the case. Um, but I think she's definitely yeah, about his that top advisor, ride or die, first mate. <laughs> you know, I think that's the way it is. Yeah. So the episode ends with Pike sitting there looking at the profiles of these, what looks to be 10-year-old kids who will be later on the very cadets or very Starfleet officers that he will save. Here's where he is Picard-like to me, in that Picard, of course, kept himself at a distance from love and and real you know intimacy. And we know why if you watch this season of Picard, which was great. Uh, but but he also reminisced and held dear things that were important to him, like the flute that he was given from that episode, The Inner Light and stuff like that. So here we have shades of that, of of Pike's humanity, wanting to know, is it, should I, should I accept my death, impending death? And should I figure out why it's so important? And maybe if I get to know these kids and I just, I just look at it and lean into it and stop being scared of it. Maybe maybe I'll realize it's worth it. Wouldn't it be interesting if at some point he meets one of these children? That would really be interesting. And, and you know, maybe he finds comfort in this. Maybe this is what's going to help settle his mind for the next 10 years. When you, you know something as terrible as what he's about to go through in 10 years is going to happen, maybe this is the companion. Maybe this is the comfort. Maybe this is what is going to settle his mind and give him that peace that he needs yeah. to carry on for the next 10 years. I think so too. And I think he's not going to stop with checking out their profiles. I think that this is going to be a, a beating heart throughout this season and throughout this series. And again, I, I, I think if these episodes keep continuing the way they are, I think we're going to really have a, just a huge, rich tapestry of story and character to uh, work through. 
Let's take a look at our top performers from this episode. Let's start with Spock. Well, he sings, um, <laughs> and he gives advice, and he mentors, and he goes on an away mission. I didn't think this was a remarkably standout uh, episode for him, but we got to see more of him. What do you think? I think what was refreshing to me is just, again, seeing a different side of Spock that we haven't before. We're seeing more of his human side. That makes me want to watch every single week because I'm just like, okay, what else are we going to see that we haven't seen before? So is it going to be more of his human side this week or is it going to be uncharted areas of his Vulcan side? And that keeps me in the seat. But I, I want to go off for a second and just mention one other thing. And that is, you know, the, the graphics in this series are probably better than anything I've seen on any Star Trek. And I mean with the movies too. I mean, look, J.J. Abrams did a phenomenal job, uh, but the the way that they show the ship and the, the amount of time they spend on it, traveling through space, going through those uh, bits of asteroids, it's just a beautiful ship. It's my favorite Enterprise of all of them. Um, I just love how much time they spend outside in space. You know, in TNG, they'd say, you know, maneuver, and then they wouldn't show it because they probably didn't have the budget to do it. You know, in this show, it's just like, sure, let's show the ship. Uh, yes, and uh, TNG was like, uh, initiate Wrecker 1. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Picard maneuver. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even the shielding is the most, the, if you watch the episode, which hopefully everyone has, even the way they represent the shielding, is I think the most accurate because it's just bits and pieces, you know, it's in this area and it's this kind of electrical charge that gets activated when something hits it. And I, I don't know, I just, I found it, I just love, I could watch the whole show from the outside of the ship and be thoroughly fascinated. And I could tell they're gonna do that all season and I'm thrilled about it. A human in my condition might consider themselves impaired. Emmer may not be able to see, but his other senses compensate. Compensate? They are superior. Now, we also got a chance to meet Chief Engineer Hammer. From the teases from last week, I thought we'd see more of him. But what we have seen, I really like. I like how Spock kind of messed with him a little bit and played with his mind and, and you know, sent him a signal that he's throwing a, whatever he threw, a carrot or something. Um, and how they both were messing with Uhura. I think this guy's gonna be good because the key to that character, in my opinion, is not to be too surly, like uh, like that show House. That doctor was so surly. I think if he's just kind of less angry all the time, but just direct, I think it could really be something. I think as long as he is a lovable curmudgeon, I think it'll work. The lovable curmudgeon to me is a is a, is too easy of a character to throw at fans. I think I'd like to see depth with him and the way they're doing these characters, we probably will. I think I think we will. He's a subspecies of the Andorians and I think there's probably a backstory to that. So we'll see, we'll see. I'm pretty sure he has been through something that has led him to Starfleet. So uh, there's plenty of room for story when it comes to him. So I look forward to his particular episode where we, we delve deep into his character. You all should be relying on someone who's prepared someone actually Starfleet, not someone who's gonna get us all fried to a crisp. But I think the, the bigger story, this was Uhura's episode. So we got a chance to figure out her origins yeah. and got a chance to see her 
grow and, and, and become a little more confident on a long road to growth in Starfleet. I, I think she just shined so much in this episode. She, as an actress, must have been thrilled to have had this opportunity and to be, I mean, she just, I don't know. I just think she played it so well. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I, being as old as I am and being a fan of the original series when I was a kid, it is hard for me to accept new actors all the time as these characters. As I mentioned last week, it's like, how many people have played Batman? How many people have played James Bond? But with this character, I think she is going to define it in a way that says, okay, I'm not going to forget the others, but I'm going to accept this and I like it. And let's get it done, people. We've got a planet to save before breakfast. I love this job. And then lastly, Pike is Pike. Anson Mount delivers another great episode um, as Captain Pike, and I, and I think he just continues to do a phenomenal job. I think he would admit this too, and I'll say it out loud. I think he was born to play this character. I think he is this character. Um, I think he's perfect, and he is so good at it that, like a Picard, he has added a dimension to the Star Trek universe that doesn't take us away from Kirk but doesn't also make us stay only with James T. Kirk because he was the captain. Um, it's allowing us to know other captains like Janeway and like um, Cisco and and um, whoever else there was. Uh, I don't always mention Archer, but yeah, he's, he's, a, he's just a solid character and he just plays it. I really think he is Pike. I just don't see an Anson Mount. I see a... Uh, Captain Christopher Pike. Next week's episode, Ghosts of Illyria. Una must confront a secret she's been hiding when a contagion ravages the ship, incapacitating the rest of the crew. We have a situation. Landing party members are showing symptoms of some kind of contamination. What are you doing? They're being attracted to light. Computer and simulation. What did you do that for? Feel the radiance on my skin. It's a thousand degrees, it'll kill you. It's only a matter of time before we all become infected. Does that thing have a setting for stun? I am arming us with knowledge. Now we've seen this before where the crew has been sick, so it'll be interesting to see if they can put a different spin on this. Yeah, first of all, why is she the one that's not affected? So does that have is she fully human? Um is there something about her? Is this is the secret about her that she has to confront the reason that she's not incapacitated? Wouldn't that be interesting? They'll probably do that. Again, it's another chance for us to get to know another crew member. This time it's number one. I think she deserves her own episode. Um, I just love that I don't see Rebecca Romaine in this character. I see Majel Barrett. I'm sorry to say. I, I just see that and I think she just is so good at, you know, be, being this character, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do. I do think it's a little played out um, from the episodic um, perspective that, you know, the crew gets sick. Someone has to save them. We saw that in TNG a lot of times. We saw it on um, the original series. But they're doing so well with this show, I, they'll probably just put a fresh spin on it. So I'm really looking forward to it. And since uh, the crew is going to be sick, I know we're definitely going to see more of Dr. Mbega and more of Nurse Chapel. I mean, that's a given. Yeah, uh, Chapel's great. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, we need an Ambega episode too. 
All right, more backstories, uh, more adventures. Well, that concludes this episode of Energize. We will see you next time. Live long and prosper, my people. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, engage now and hit the subscribe button. Leave us your feedback, and we'll see you next time.